Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, party people, it's Jaime. Producing our podcast, Confessions of a Creative Director, is one of the most rewarding and fulfilling projects of my life. I can't believe I get to meet and talk to some of the most successful and influential creative directors from around the world. I'm thrilled by all the support and encouragement I receive from listeners everywhere. Now, as a fan of the show, I invite you to join my Patreon and become a supporter of the show. You'll help me cover the editing, hosting services, and maybe the occasional tequila soda for yours truly. If you've derived real-world value from my conversations with the world's best creatives, this is your way to help keep it going. Visit my Patreon and sign up to become a supporter today. You'll get access to additional content from the show and maybe even a few surprises. I'm looking forward to many more episodes, and I hope you'll come along for the ride with me. Visit patreon.com backslash confessions of a creative director to become a supporter today. That's patreon.com backslash confessions of a creative director. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by What's the Big Idea? An indispensable guide to becoming a kick-ass creative director by yours truly, Jaime Cabrera. Pick it up on Amazon and now available on Audible. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast, Confessions of a Creative Director, the original podcast made by a creative director for creative directors, for aspiring creative directors, for creatives of all types looking to up their game by learning from the world's best. This is your podcast and I am your host, Jaime Cabrera. On today's episode, we have the brilliant, charming, and very funny Sean McBride, Chief Creative Officer of Arnold Worldwide. And he's here to talk about the resurgence of comedy in advertising, which I'm sure we all witnessed during this year's Super Bowl. Now, Sean is an expert in this area, overseeing creative for two of the longest running and funniest campaigns in advertising history. I'm talking about his work on Progressive's iconic Flow and Dr. Rick. Love those campaigns. They're some of my favorite ads. And Sean and his team are doubling down on the laughs and have developed innovative ways to find and nurture the next generation of comedic ad writers and talent. So without further ado, let's get into it with Sean McBride. How are you, buddy? Good, honey. Thank you for having me, man. I'm, I'm uh, proud and honored to be here. Thank you. I'm, I'm honored to have you on the show. There's, there's lots to talk about. I'm a big big fan of of your work and we're going to get into uh some of that but yeah thanks thanks for making the time to be here so i gotta ask you we're recording this right after the super bowl yeah hot take we didn't plan this <laughs> since we're going to be talking about comedy today what was the funniest spot from uh, the super bowl in your opinion well i think the like the funniest words uttered were michael Sarah saying like i'm a human skin enthusiast so I'm not sure the totality of those 30 seconds were the funniest, but for me, the funniest three seconds were Michael Sarah saying I'm a human skin enthusiast. Yeah. Um, it's between that one and the Duncan one for me. Um, and uh, the Duncan one might have like a little bit of a hometown advantage, uh, given that it's like it's Affleck channeling his like dipshit Boston, you know, yeah. or so. Uh, I love my- that. I, I love the little throwaway lines too, like you know, yeah. uh, 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 what's his face? Um, oh my God, I'm drawing a blank. 
his his buddy saying, you know, like it's really hard. Yeah, Matt Damon, like it's it's so hard to be your friend sometimes. <laughs> Just the little throwaway lines were really great. Yeah, you can feel sometimes when it's like celebs doing it because they got called and for the check, and celebs doing it because they like really like the bit and feel it and think it's funny to their core. And you could tell that that crew, like you know, was sort of born of them more than born of like a brain of yours or mine, you know? So yeah. And then Tom Brady was in at what? He was in that that, and then he was in the Bet MGM. He had a couple of uh, a couple did. of appearances as well. You did. It was good to see Vince Vaughn um, as a uh, as a <laughs> a Vince Vaughn disciple. I'm a big fan. I thought yeah. that was, of Brady's two appearances, that one was a little bit funnier. But uh, but yeah, Brady. Yeah, Brady does awesome. Brady doesn't seem to. He doesn't. Someone's got to tell him he can say no. Like he made enough money. I, I think he just. I think he he must just. I mean, the guy is just a competitive animal. So maybe in some way he sees that as competition too or something. But yeah, you're right. It's just like he just wants to do everything. But I mean, how could you not want to do? I mean, that that kind of stuff seems pretty fun. So true. Fair enough. All right. So let's jump into this topic because it was it was really interesting. I was reading this article, uh, you know, talking about the fact that comedy in TV spots had been on the decline. Yeah. And now it's starting to come back. I guess I never really thought about that. And and as I do replay it in my mind, I can kind of see, you know, we had a lot of serious uh, heart uh, felt things in, in last year's Super Bowl. And, you know, I guess there is a return to that. I mean, was that your impression, too, that it was really on, on the, the the decline? Uh, very much so, yeah. Um, and maybe that's because of my vantage point as someone who was like uh, in, you know, in one case, in year 16 of trying to author a funny or at times funny adjacent campaign, right? So you're trying to figure out who you want to recruit, how you staff on that. Um, and generally speaking, um, yeah, it was like kind of a, a bit of a desert as it related to whose comedy work were you admiring or even just like ad school books. It's a pretty good indication of what's getting rewarded or what the what the trend is, right? I get young portfolios and there's just like no not even a sniff of humor. So it definitely was my definitely was my impression that that was the case for the last 5 years or so. And what is your what is your gut tell you was the what was the reason for that was it just, you know, covid was it just that we were kind of living in a in a much more serious world or how does that work? I certainly think that didn't hurt for the last 4. Um I think before that there was like a really powerful discourse of brand purpose. Um, mm. that, you know, has been running through the in industry for about a decade. And certainly there's a time and place where that was entirely appropriate and some great work came out of that. So that's like, it's not an either or proposition, but I do also think that in a lot of ways to me, that discourse was easier to sell, right. And easier for corporations to get, um, excited about, or at least feel comfortable with like one of the hardest things to do is to roll in there and say, the solution to your business problems is this dumb, silly thing. Um, right. you know, it's a lot easier on some level for people to calm down and say, this makes sense. If you roll in and say, you know what, you need to stand for something and you need to um, behave in some, you know, sort of highly principled manner in order to reflect that. And that's good marketing. Sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't, but I think that was going and then the pandemic happened and we sort of doubled down. And, and I'm not, I don't want to make light of that. And I don't want to suggest that that wasn't appropriate in places because it was. But um, those two things together, I think, made it like a real a real comedy desert for a couple of years there. Yeah, I can I can see how that kind of combining to, um, you know, to 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 create the the conditions for that to be. But in, in some ways, it's also hard to believe that the uh, the antidote wouldn't be to do comedy. Right. But I but I guess it was just kind of like leaning into that. We got to like you just mentioned, right? we got to stand for something. And now is not the time to be. Right. You know, but I mean, you know, you probably could have scored a lot of points by being the brand that kind of came in and, and made people laugh. But I guess it was sort of a risky time to maybe think that way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, in some ways, I think we did like uh, on a couple in a couple of places. Um, you know, I, I think we've made some really funny uh, campaigns over the last few years. But I, I think part of why they are as prominent as they are is because um, the competition was light. And I'm saying that. um Genuinely, like I, I uh, 
I believe very much that we've made good work, but I also, you know, when people would celebrate it, I would go out, you know, there should be more of these, um, right. there should be more cultural things that people quote and laugh about and want to rewatch. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm 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 sure you're refer, uh, referring to flow and and Dr. Rick, which we're going to get into because I think those are, you know, pound for pound some of the funniest uh, ads uh, ever. And they, you know, the the fact that you guys continue to come up with those great storylines, I definitely want to get into that uh, if we're able to here in a second. What, what what is your thought? So it's making a comeback here. Uh, yeah. Can Lion is now introducing a, a new award to sort of. Uh, recognize that what do you what do you know about this i don't know that much uh i'm excited about that as it relates to like the general tenor i do think um you know international shows um it can get it can get um interesting as it relates to that i think you know um there are sort of really simple simple stories visual stories universal stories that are funny that i think can cross you know um all countries but I do think there's some, you know, new nuance to dialogue and nuance to humor that it'll be interesting to see how they judge it and what rises to the top. I know for sure that like our Dr. Rick work has gotten some recognition, but there are definitely pockets where I can tell it's not about appreciating it or not appreciating. It's like, you know, if um, there's cultural nuance sometimes to get lost or there's dialogue stuff that doesn't translate or whatever else. So it'll be interesting. Like it'll be interesting to see what does well and what does doesn't. Overall, I'm fired up. I'm really happy that it's happening. I just think we'll see what the what the results are. It'll be interesting. Yeah, that is going to be interesting because you're right when you're when you're looking at stuff on a global level, how does that how will that work, right? Because for example, in a lot of the work and we're we're starting to talk about it now, which I can't I can't help myself, but in a lot of the work for 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 Dr. Rick and, and maybe more on the Dr. Rick side than the flow side, there's a lot of a lot of subtlety, right? A lot of like little little things that that you have to not be paying attention to, but it's not slapstick, right? It's it's like really thoughtful, funny on many different levels, kind of funny. So how will they be able to judge that when they're judging spots from all over the world? I mean, that's a great that's a great uh, you know point. It's like how how will that happen? It might be why it's taken a while to do it, and I think it'll be an interesting uh, experiment. I guess we'll find out. You know, we'll find yeah. out as well. Um, um, so how did you, I mean, what, what's been, why, what's triggered your interest in, in comedy? Have you been, uh, are you a funny person in real life? Did you, did you have aspirations of being a comedian or comedic actor or where did, where did this love for it come from? It's a good question. Uh, as an aside, I always feel like if this is your sort of lead line about what you want to talk about. There's always this pressure, like I should be fucking funny during this call, and well, well I mean, there's this podcast, and we'll see whether I deliver odds <laughs> or against me. Um, you know, I uh, I was like um, a B level class clown, like uh, for a while there, like I, I, you know, like I was like the I've written this before, so I'm not making it up new, but I was like the, you know, the sixth funniest guy or something, sixth funniest person. <laughs> um, uh, and then at a certain point. Late in high school, I started writing funny things, and then I became like the number one writer of funny things. And so that was instructive for me, right? Like maybe not, maybe not the funniest perform performatively writer, maybe not the funniest uh, as a performer, but um, funny on paper. And so yeah, it's been an interest since I was that age. Um, you know, I grew up in Boston, and I've spent my whole career here. Was not surrounded by a lot of sort of people to model how to pursue that against. So it took me a while to figure that out. And like the, the closest that I could come to it in my head was like English professor or English teacher, which I know sounds nuts, but like uh, that was as, as close as I got um, until I discovered this, you know, sometime in my mid twenties. Um, and even then I was super content to just be a writer um, of anything uh, funny or not. And so it really was kind of like a nice, when I got to the place where I started working on brands where I could be funny, like it was sort of like a big, you know, exhale, a lifetime in in the waiting where I was like, oh, here we are. This is what I was meant to do. Uh, this is what I'm good at. Um, so the answer to your question is to a degree, yeah, but not like um, I have like some standups on my team. I definitely have people who are more performatively funny working for me yeah. uh, than me. Um, but yeah, I've always been interested in trying to make people laugh and always been interested in funny writing and got me here. Yeah, and it's it's funny when you think about there's something 
incongruous about thinking about writing funny things. Like I, I have, you know, Seinfeld's book where he writes, you know, where he shares every bit that he's ever written, right? And it, it was just, it just struck me as funny because in my mind, I always thought that comedians were just sort of like it was just in their brain somehow. But it's like, right, writing is work is the work, right? It's like you got to get it down on on, on paper because it's one thing to be funny, yeah. right? But it's another thing to write funny. It's true, and you learn that. I mean, one of the best things that I've had um, is reps. Like, um, you know, I've made hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, again, funny or funny adjacent things. Um, And uh, you learn that writing something funny to be read funny is one thing. And then writing something funny and then it's read by somebody else and it's not funny. And you got to figure out how to make that funny in performance in the moment. Like, um, and then writing something and having it perform in the moment and seem funny because you pivoted and then you get into an editorial and it's not funny and you got to figure out how to edit funny, which is a different thing. Um, so there are definitely a lot of factors that can make something land or not land. And, uh, one of the reasons why I think we're actually like a center of excellence at this thing is because we've had reps. Like I have a lot of practice, like I'm not coming to it. I remember the first two few times I did this and I thought I'm funny. And what I wrote is funny, and we just shot that and cut it, and that shit ain't funny. Um, and then you're like, whoa, it's a big sort of earth-shattering moment where you, you realize that it's not as linear as that, and, and, you, and there's a lot of tools and a lot of um, reasons why something does or doesn't land. And practice, to me, is the only is the only real way to get great at it. And you know, if you listen to stand-ups, um, I learned this over time, right? You listen to them and their process. Their thing is they go and they just try stuff, right? Yeah. And if the audience laughs, they keep it. And if they don't, they don't. And they work through it. And they say, I'm working through my, I'm working through my set. And in nine months, it'll be ready. So there is, tri- you know, Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, pick whoever you think the funniest guy or the funniest person in the world is. They all have that process. Uh, all of them roll in and say there's, you know, uh, editing and evolution and learning as part of that. It's, it's no different for us. Yeah. And you said something that was very, very uh, interesting to me, right? Um, a few seconds ago, which is that idea of, you know, editing funny, writing funny, editing funny, shooting funny. It's all like, you know, there, there's, there's an art to each one of those things where I feel like maybe, I guess, I guess maybe you're, if you're doing something very dramatic, maybe there's some element of that, but it seems like in comedy, there's more sort of, uh, places where you could fuck up, right. Where it's like, well, we, we, we shot it funny. But but we didn't edit it funny. Like it, it seems like it that that is unique to comedy. Is that am I thinking about that correctly? I think so. I mean, I to be honest, like when I watched last night, I felt like there was a lot of like intent to be funny, um, but uh, maybe not uh, enough mastery to um, deliver the goods in places. So, and that's, you know, it's unfair. Like, I don't know how things got to the place they got. And there are plenty of funny things, but I, I saw a lot of things that were to reuse my lame term for the third time, like funny adjacent, you know, right. like all, all the, all the elements to something funny were there. But, um, but I don't know that, you know, that someone exactly knew how to pull it all together. And as you and I both know, there are a lot of factors, some of them out of your control. Right. Uh, some of them together. are. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, it could be any number of things, right? It's like somebody getting uh, scared about something landing a certain way or, you know, e- even personal taste in, in, in what's, uh, yep. you know, what's funny or not. How does it just to, if you could share a little bit of behind the scenes, I mean, w- when it comes down to the final, final, mm-hmm. um, is it often just the final, the final decision just rests with the client? Yes. Or how much, you know, how much can you kind of influence that? I guess it's tough. It just depends on the relationship and what it is and the reason why, if there's a disagreement, what the reason for the disagreement is. Uh, I think the best that we can do most of the time is make sure that the thing we're bringing gets like a guttural, visceral reaction. Like that's the easiest thing to defend when it's like, why do you think this is funny? It's like, because right. the whole room laughed, man. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, and if you bring it and no one laughs and then you're trying to convince them, by the way, this is funny. That's a whole other uphill battle. And then you start talking about the semantics of things versus the sort of guttural reaction to did everybody in the room laugh? Um, that's the best. That's the best arguing position, right? To be frank. Right. Yeah. yeah. You can't you can't argue against that. That's that's great. 
Um, so you mentioned having some some stand-ups that are on your team. I understand you have kind of a an interesting approach to when you're recruiting talent. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's interesting. Our conversation sort of set the table for this already to a degree. So I've been in one way or another, like um, trying to lead a uh, a couple long-term campaigns um, and not even just the ones you mentioned, but others too along, along the way um, that are funny and struggling with um, books or experience reflective of that. And so for a long time, I've been interested in trying to figure out how to um, find funny people and recruit them to advertising. Um, I don't know that over the last 10 years, we've necessarily had that many people joining our industry whose goal it was to be funny, which I do think is probably a pretty good early criteria to you being funny, right? Is like that you care about that, that you're interested in that. So for a while, it was just asking recruiters, like, I don't know, we should look elsewhere. And and um, sometimes it was just friend referrals, like this guy had done stand up with this woman and, and she was good or um, stuff like that. You know, this this one was in our improv group and she's funny. Let's give her a try. Um, we hired, uh, even weirder than that at times, like, uh, a greeting card writer and one guy was an improv guy, but he was a special needs teacher. Um, and, uh, some of our best hires, um, have came from that process over time. Um, once I became CCO, um, you know, it was also like incumbent upon me to diversify our workforce. And I yeah. just had a moment where I thought maybe these two problems were running in parallel paths and that one so a solution to one could be a solution to both. Because when I look out on social, it's like there's lots of funny people making funny things out there of all um, shapes and sizes from everywhere. Like, why why can't we figure out how to tap into that? So that gave birth um, to this thing we call the Institute for the Comedically Gifted. Exactly. Um, and uh that is, you know, it's a jokey name. It's really just intended to mean that like on a quarterly basis, we'll pick someone who is a um, not brand new to it, like basically a highly functioning, funny person in some yeah. capacity, whether they're a stand up or a screenwriter or just making really funny things on social. They're a proven funny person who we pay a freelance wage to come work on some of our existing campaigns for for three months. And, you know, I do think we're uniquely positioned to do that in some ways. Because like getting someone who's a stand-up and saying, hey, come up with a big brand idea for this brand for our big launch, that's a really hard ask when they have it right. in the industry. But to be like, hey, watch a few of these. Do you get the characters? Do you understand how they're structured? Do you have a couple ideas for scenarios? Do you have a couple ideas for jokes? Like it's a good way to plug in talent and to introduce them into it without burdening them with you know, a lifetime of learning how brands work or um, that kind of thing. Yeah, because that's in, in a way, that's your job. Right. You, you need the raw materials. You need the you need all the kind of, uh, you know, the, the stuff and your job is to to shape it. I mean, I'm sure there's there's more to it, but, you know, you need the you need the material to work with. And that other stuff is learnable and teachable. Right. But what you can't often teach is that that the funny part the talent. Is that That's correct? <laughs> yeah, I guess it is. Or, yeah, the funny the funny gene is definitely a thing that that uh, I'm not sure you can fully teach. So this is a real thing. I mean, this is a real thing that Arnold sort of owns this idea of of the Institute for the the comedically gifted. I mean, that's that's pretty awesome. Well, thanks, man. I mean, you know, we've had uh, good success. You know, there's at least one member of our team that was hired through that full time through that process, which is cool. And I, I to me, like, I've been cognizant of not making that its own goal entirely. In other words, like, um, if we get really funny people with different perspectives working on our clients brands um you know uh submitting sort of new fun cultural exciting ideas and they get if they want to go be a hollywood screenwriter and this is a way to make a living in, in between like that's a win win i don't i don't have a problem with that right like there's no reason why it's a negative to tap into um you know uh, highly funny people interested in other things within our culture um, over the short term. So if we recruit long term, if we recruit full time employees, great. Otherwise, we're just building our network of funny people. And again, I think with a with a focus on diverse perspectives, because I, I I think uh, um, 
you know, white guys that look look like me like are are prevalent in the industry. But then white white guys that look like me who write the funny ads, that's like really really prevalent. So um, it was also a way to try to get different uh, diverse comedic voices involved. Yeah, which kind of leads me to my next question here is is obviously you're you're making ads to reach all sorts of different types of people, right? It's not a not a monolith. How do you sort of gauge and and ensure that the that the humor is going to resonate with your particular target. I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's, it can't just be about, Hey, you're this type of person and we're trying to reach this type of person, right. write something funny. It's got to be probably more complex than that. But how do you, how do you do that? Well, I think, you know, in, in the cases of the, of the things that you referenced when we started, those are quite mass audiences. And so, um, they, encompass everybody and i think that the sort of sense of humor and the approach needs needs to reflect that um and then i think after that it can be to a degree audience specific but i think it's a careful balance and this is why you know we are who we are and we have the jobs we have it has to be a careful balance of that and then also like supreme confidence in the authorship uh, of yourself and what you do like, I think if you do this job, from my perspective, you, a big part of what your responsibility is, is knowing how to communicate with other people, meet them where they are, and uh, understand their context as you communicate to them. So I think it's somewhere between um, knowing exactly who the audience is and being and, and, and being um, uh, catering what you do to that, and also um, being really good at what you do and knowing how exactly to communicate to people in the right moment. Um, so some some version of supreme confidence of your own authorship and then great education about who's out there. Yeah. When you're evaluating something, right? Because again, you're the, you're the chief creative officer. In some ways you have to kind of know all the different types of funny and all the different types of people that you're trying to reach how, what kind of mindset do you have to be in to be able to sort of, you're, you're sort of like a mirror in a way, right? You're kind of like channeling back and, and you have to uh, make sure that the, the funny is going to be, is going to work for that particular audience. How do you, how do you do that? I know what you mean, but I mean, and you tell me if you agree, Jaime, but like, you know, some of the things that end up being the most universal um, work mm. because there's a succinctness to a voice that you find that you stick with. And so I think, um, I think there are things that, um, you know, to someone's unique voice that could be off-putting or not universal, but some of the things that are the most universal in our culture, um, are not by their nature on paper universal, right? Like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of the last five things that were shows that sort of swept through the country. It was like a, you know, really intimate story about, um, restaurants in Chicago, and then uh, a weird Asian game show where people get killed, and uh, you know a sweeping dragons and incest epic, you know, like yeah. based on six George R. whatever novels. So I don't know that guy's name. Um, yeah. So I think um, I don't think you can get too crossed up um, imagining that what you have to do is for everybody. I think there is universality when you mm. you pick a specific voice um, that is accessible to lots of people, even if there are um, moments that are specific um, and just deliver it with consistency and with conviction. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's the no, best answer we got. No, it's, it's a great answer. And it, it kind of, you know, it, it's almost like you got to find that, that universal core sort of truth or insight. And then you have to sort of apply different flavors to it. Right, but it, but if it doesn't have that universal thing, then it, it probably is not going to work, no matter yeah. what the what the audience is. Right, fi finding that universal sort of truth. Yeah, that's fascinating. That that, that that's really that's really um, interesting. How how do you then do? How do you then sort of balance? Because I, I imagine that it could be very easy to get swept up in the funny. And then forget about the brand message. So, how do you do that? Again, I would imagine that's a big part of your your job. Is how how do you how do you figure that out? Well, again, I think it's assignment specific. And if you look at um, 
like uh, other funny things that I've generated that Arnold's generated over time, right? If you're doing a campaign of three for a brand with low awareness and not that much uh, media spend, I think making sure that what you want them to leave with is like directly and immediately tied to everything you make um, is paramount. I think when you're on, in the case of Flow, when you're on, you know, execution 220 of that campaign, um, and you know that it's going to be very present um, in the audience's life if they watch the places where this thing runs, which is lots of places, I think the the task becomes different. The task becomes um, surprise and the task becomes, um, you know, making someone feel like they haven't seen this installation before and sharing that information in a new and special way. But I don't know that I would say that um, – the the clarity of what they're trying to communicate to the audience is in question anymore, right? Like, I think if you're living a life where you you see flow regularly, which many people are, you're yeah. not going. What's this about? Um, like you've you've heard it. So the job is different. The job at that point is relevant, um, new and interesting, surprising, a different way to tell you a, a, a thing that you you've heard a bunch of times. Um, you know other softer th- or maybe not even softer things, uh, credibility, um, making it feel like the company is for someone like them. Um, so I think it's case by case. And I think your question's insightful, which is like this funny stuff needs to lead someplace. But I think, like I said before, um, for a client with low awareness and a smaller media spend and only going to make three things this year, that yeah. idea better tee up a very specific thing. You better be crystal clear about it and then better leave knowing who that company is and knowing what that thing that they want you to know is. I think the job on something like Flow or Dr. Rick is different um, because of uh, how long it's been around, how often you're going to see it, and how familiar um, the brand name is and some of the messages are. It becomes a different, a, a different um, goal to achieve. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I think this is, this is a good good time to kind of switch gears and talk about those two. I mean, these are, I would imagine uh, when the, when the aliens come down to earth to, you know, already here, dude, you know, they're already here. Okay. Shit. Okay. (laughs) They're, they're here already. Well, when they come and start looking at, at, at advertising, I got to imagine that, that those two campaigns are going to be in like, the master book of like things that were done that were successful, that were funny, that were, that were great. Um, I got to imagine, I mean, how good does it feel to know that you're part of probably two of the biggest, most successful uh, advertising campaigns probably of all time. Am I, am I overstating that? I don't think I am. If you are, someone else can keep you honest. I'm going to enjoy it. Um, uh, you know, it's bananas and, uh, I feel very fortunate. I've told this story before, but you know, um, when I I'm from Boston, as I said before, Arnold's the place I got into advertising to work at. Um, for a long time, I didn't have the book to get in. Um, and when I did get in, um, part of the reason was cause they had, you know, they had this sort of hardworking account that they had a hard time retaining talent on. Um, and, uh, it was this, it was progressive insurance. And when they asked me if I would come work on it, I had to look up the company. I had never heard of it. Um, and I remember looking it up and like um, asking around. And, you know, I found like a few really positive things. Um, like they had a, one of the largest art, private art collections in the, the country, which they do. I was like, well, you know, that alone, that's cool. Like, that's something to like about the company. And I really wanted to work at Arnold. So yeah. that journey is nuts. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to pretend that it isn't. And uh, and in some ways, it's just about good fortune. And then I, I've had real good fortune about partners and coworkers on that. Um, the woman who's chief client officer at, at Arnold is a, a woman named Val Bettini, And she was my partner from my first day, um, my account partner on Progressive. And part of the reason why we've been successful is because 
that partnership um, worked so well for so long. And then I, I really am surrounded by my favorite, um, most talented people in the industry, um, which is a big reason why I never left. So it's, and there've been hundreds of people in and out over time participating and who are equally responsible. So mostly I just feel lucky to have, have been around uh, long enough yeah. for you to say that to me. Um, I will say that what I really like, I mean, the part that of what you said that's true is um, I think all I ever really wanted from this job was the idea that when we made something, people would go, oh man, I really like that one. And maybe remember a line from it and quote it back. And it made them laugh. Like that's really all I've ever wanted from the job. So to have people do that, that's the part that's like, holy cow, this is rewarding. And I, I'm so happy that it's gone this way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, and, and again, like I said, I think there are hundreds of people who could take credit. And so whenever this comes up, it's hard for me because I, I feel like I'm representing them, but I'm certainly not, you know, the reason or the person, but we, we, we could spend another half an hour listing names. So yeah, I, I, I bet. Yeah, uh, and I and I and I was taken um, as I you know was doing my research. I was taken by how sort of succinct your 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 uh, I um uh, why am I blanking on this word? Your career trajectory was very it's tight. Yeah. You know, somebody that that in my mind, right? If, if I'm thinking of uh, someone who has been very um, influential in creating this work, you would have thought that you were here and then you went there and you went there and you went there and you were, you know, but it's, it's, you, you've spent, you've cut your teeth there at Arnold. You've been there a long time. It sounds like you, that, that was where you had your heart set on working and you've put in the, the hours and, and, um, you know, paid your dues. Has that, did you ever have an idea about going somewhere else or coming back or tell us about how you sort of just landed there and, and stuck it out? Cause that's um, not, that's pretty uncommon. I think it is. Pretty, and it, and it, um, I mean, there were definitely, and I'm not saying this to be spiteful to the people who gave me this advice cause they were probably most of the time, right. But I definitely got lots of advice along the way that said, Hey, if you want to get the job you want to get, or you want the career that you want, you need to move on. And right. Uh, You've done too many things on these specific accounts. You need to go do other things. Um, so I don't know if it's a blueprint um, for everybody. For me, uh, what I just said is a big part of it, which was I would look around at the new opportunity some other place and I would go, I just, it's hard for me to believe that I'll have a better team yeah. when I get there. So that's hard. And then, you know, um, for me personally, the, the opportunities never dried up. Right. I was never sitting there being like, what's the cool thing I'm going to work on in three months? I always had something that I was excited about. A lot of times I had two or three things I was excited about. Um, and then, you know, uh, my family's from here. My wife's a lawyer here. Yeah. Um, it would have been a, she would have had to take a bar somewhere else. It would have been an upheaval. Yeah. And so whenever there was a tie, I was like, you know, I'm going to stick. Um, and I will say that I am super proud of, I don't think it's easy. I'm going to be slightly self-absorbed for a second. It's not easy to go all the way up to this job, uh, never getting to rebrand yourself. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I, I never went somewhere else and, and, and sort of, you know, changed what I wore or retold what yeah. I worked on in some way that was, that was a uh, more, you know, a, a little bit exaggerated. I never went somewhere else and said, I, I authored this campaign when really somebody else did like, I am proud that I got to the job with a bunch of people around who've seen all my moves up until now yeah. and still thought me worthy. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that there's a unity at Arnold and I don't mean this in a self-absorbed way um, to a degree because of that. Cause I think we all have a shared experience and it, and, and, um, and I'm here at this point cause this is the place I want to be. Yeah. Like, and all my energy is about, not about me trying to leap out of this place to, to some other holding company job or something. Right. Like my energy is about this place, these people, these clients. Like, so um, that's awesome. For whatever that's worth. No, that's that. I think that's worth a lot because, again, as, as I was looking uh, at it, I was, I was taken by it. I was like, man, this guy's really kind of like gone all in. And, 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 you know, the results are, 
are clear as day, right? And, and, and I'm sure that you've had the success because of that longevity, because of that partnership with other people that have been there a long time. So no, I think that's, I think that's awesome. So in terms of those two, those two, um, big campaigns, Flo and, and Dr. Rick, Flo is, has been around much longer, right? But I would say Dr. Rick, if I'm not mistaken, is five, six years. How, how, what are we talking about there? That's about right. It's kind of a slow launch. Um, cause we started with this campaign about becoming your parents. Yeah. And then about five or six years ago, um, we, we built the sort of second stage of it around him as a character specifically. Yeah. So I would say Dr. Rick specifically, it's like five or six years. That's right. Okay. So this is something that I just love to do when I'm watching stuff and try to, to reverse engineer, you know, where how, this, the, the brilliant insight. And I'm not even going to attempt it here because I would probably get it wrong. But in your mind, I mean, what was that insight? Obviously, it's, you know, not wanting to become your parents, but there's something deeper to it because there's in in my mind I think well I'm gonna now I'm gonna go ahead and just do it anyway. It's it, 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 it's about this idea that while you don't necessarily want to be like your parents and there's funny things about it, there's also kind of something like that resembles sort of a sort of a sort of like an admiration for your parents because you they they they're grown ups. You're not a you're not a grown up. You want to be a grown up. You just want to do it in your own way sort of thing there's there's like a i don't know there's like a warmth to it or something where you're kind of paying homage to your parents even though you're kind of making fun of them and like oh it's time to get insurance and be an adult yeah well i mean there's two things one is like business wise it was like it wasn't like it was progressive um growing into the um homeowners insurance business um and there was like a really good you know, planner insight that was basically like when you start owning anything, you hear those things that your parents used to say to you come out of your mouth, right? You're like, when you yeah. own a car, you're like, don't kick the door. And then you're like, I can't believe I just said, are you going to drink that? In, you, you can't drink coffee in here. Whatever those things that when you were a kid, you were like, leave me alone, mom or dad. Suddenly you start saying those things. So I think right. that's very true. Um, but to your other point, like, I think what makes it, work so well is that I think most of us, almost all of us believe fundamentally that some level of turning into your parents is inevitable. Right. And so even though it's resistant, like the joke is about resisting that, or man, I don't want to be that, or I, I can't believe parents do this and I'll never do that. There's like a fatalism to it that actually makes it warm to your point. Cause yeah. you're like, you can't escape it. You're, you're half that person and half that other person, no matter what you do. And so it's as much as it's making fun of your parents, it's kind of making fun of you. Like, you know, that's coming for you. Yeah. And so I totally agree as like biting as they can feel at times on paper, there's a warmth to it because it's, it's inevitable. Nobody questions it. Nobody really rebels against it. You kind of go, it's going to be what I'm going to be like, and that's okay. Yeah. I mean, I find myself that, and that's why I think they've, they've been so funny to me personally, because I, do those things. I'm like, hey, let's park here okay. so that we can get out of the game. You know, are we going to leave? Uh, let's leave. Let's leave in the, you know, if they're losing, we're going to leave in the third quarter, like stuff like that. Right. Or, you know, like, I don't know if this has been in one of the spots, but I find myself walking around the house going, turn off the lights like my oh, yeah. dad used to do. Turn off the light. What are you not made out of money around here? You know, all that kind of stuff. And yeah. that's why they're so funny because they're so true. <laughs> yeah. And I think, um, I mean, A, my experience is like, you know, I get to review a lot of those. And so it's, you know, I go, oh, that one, that one's hilarious. Like, oh, that one, that, that one's hilarious. And then one in three, it's just like a gut punch. Yeah. And I go, oh, no, <laughs> I did that yesterday. That's not funny at all. That just hurts. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And I, I think on a comedy level, the thing that the team has done really well, in my opinion, is – um they need to be universal and true, but surprising. But that's surprising. like ones that tear the cover off the ball, right? Like the one where you go, Oh yes, that is so true, but it's not, you know, to me, example I've used in the past is, uh, you know, dark socks and sandals. And I'm not trying to suggest we're above that joke cause we're not, but like, um, that's a joke that's in the culture, right? You hear right. that and you go, Oh, that's true. And you kind of head nod, 
but it doesn't have the explosion of surprise that makes you laugh out loud when you're like, oh, I've never thought of that before. And that's incredibly true and universal. Those are the ones that I think really elevate the campaign. And I think the team's done a killer job of, of keeping it that way. So when you're, when you're doing, let's say, let's go back in time um, to Dr. Rick and, and you guys are coming up with that. It is, do you have it in your mind? Like this is going to be an, a, 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 an ongoing thing. Do you already know, or does it, you have to expose it to the world and then you go, okay, this is going to be a, you know, a long-term thing. I think it's the latter. I think, uh, I think most, most creative things when too over-engineered, uh, struggle. And I also think, um, this is just my belief that things change fast enough in our business that having a five-year plan for something, um, generally speaking is silly. Um, and one of your biggest superpowers or one of your agency's biggest superpowers should be uh, ability to know what's happening in culture and pivot, to respond to the reaction to something and double down on it, to learn as you make something and learn how to make it better next time. So in general, it was definitely in this case, the latter. I mean, I think they have had, depending on um, leadership, they have had moments where they put a real premium on um, uh, characters that are repeatable. So I think there was some hope there, but yeah. if you're asking me as a creative professional with well, the best way to make it, I think the best way to make it is to make something that you believe in and you think could have legs and put it out in the world and then react. I yeah. think, uh, I think you're way better off that way. And so now thinking about flow, I mean, and that whole cast of characters, I mean, they, they have really kind of, they've been around so long that they've had that they are reacting to a lot of things that are happening in culture a lot of the times. Right. But then yeah. they've also even branched out into different sort of genres. Like I, one that comes to mind is like a, a noir kind of um, piece that you did. And then there's the whole, you know, flow um, and, and her name escapes me, the woman that plays flow, but playing, you know, all the, all the characters in her family yep. and all that kind of stuff. So that's, you know, that's a, that's a whole different ball of wax. Is that something that you potentially foresee? Uh, not to give away trade secrets, but is that something that you know ha is will happen to Doctor Rick and that whole cast of characters as they go through? Like they, there'll be an opportunity to morph them into different things. I don't, I don't know, um, but I don't, I don't think so. I think they're different things. Yeah. I, mean, I think, um, you know, I inherited Flo. I inherited her very early, but I, I inherited her, and I think that's a very kind of sincere spokesperson. Um, yeah. To me. Um, it is fundamentally less conceptual. And, um, I think, uh, what we've been trying to do is, you know, build a world, um, build, uh, like a true, um, build motivation for her and her friends, which I think we have, right. They're sort of single-mindedly, they're a merry band of, of insurance nerds, right. Yeah. And they're the misfits in an otherwise normal world. Yeah. Um, and then after that, as I said to you before, I think it's about, um, generating interest, um, being cultural, being surprising, um, knowing that your context is that you've been with this woman for quite some time now. How do we how do we keep it special and and keep it interesting? I think the Dr. Rick thing is much more fundamentally conceptual. Um, um, and the sort of the construct leads very directly to the message. And so however it ages, I think it'll be different. Yeah. Um yeah, I think there's sort of two different two different problems we're managing at once. So um inherited flow dr rick that that's happened within your within your tenure there yeah so flow is i've been working on that business for 16 years and flow was um a few months uh, a few months before i started wow um, but uh but yes uh, so it's a long way to go back yeah I, that's a long way to go back so does predate me yeah i'd claim that i'd claim it i'd claim it i'd put it in there um <laughs> All right. I know we want to be mindful of time here. Real quick, you talked about this uh, very early on, right? Um, what, what's the best advice that you could give an aspiring creative um, who maybe has that, that funny slant to them? What's the best way to showcase that, let's say, on a portfolio or, in, you know, do they come telling jokes during the interview? I mean, how, how, what's the best advice you can give somebody? That's a great question. Um, I... Uh... You know, I, maybe we're experiencing like the sort of final days of Twitter now X. 
Yeah. But for me, for a long time, I thought funny Twitter was a really good way um, to convince someone because Twitter is essentially headline writing or joke writing. Um, so um, it could be something as simple as that. I mean, if you have written other comedy things, if you've written sketches, if you've shot things with your friends, wonderful. Like include them in your portfolio. Wow. But at the very least, um, if you have any outlet where you're funny, including Twitter, I'm still going to call it Twitter, Jaime. No X. Yeah. Funny. Yeah. Nobody, um, nobody calls it X. Yeah. <laughs> um, great. I think you should include that and point me to that. I get that ad school has not necessarily been a great environment to uh to nurture that or show that off and that's not a yeah. dig on asshole i just don't think it's i just don't and it is you know scripts in a portfolio are hard i think you yeah. agree with you right like uh, i mean we all go to headlines or executions that are uh, easy to easy to, well we're not physically doing it easy to click through yeah at this point i think if someone gives you a storyboard it is tough so quick places to demonstrate headliney or jokey um writing and to me Twitter's a good start. That's awesome. All right, you heard you heard it here first. Well, uh, Sean, thank you for making the time to be on the uh, on the uh, podcast. I really, you know, after learning about what you are doing there, how you sort of see the world, I love this idea of you know that you're looking at non traditional um, ad agency type people that you've created this this unique you know uh, comedically gifted. Uh, institute, I, I love that, and I think that really sets you you guys apart in a in a, in a lot of ways. So congratulations on that, and and congratulations on all your success. I wish you continued success, and uh, I can't wait to see you know all the great new uh, work that you guys create, uh, not only for those two uh, characters. So I sincerely, I, I'm not just blowing smoke up your butt. I love those. I I love them. I look forward to them. I I frequently laugh out loud i think they're just brilliant so just congratulations and, and thanks for sharing all your your wisdom with the audience hi my man it was genuinely an honor and a pleasure to be asked and uh i appreciate all the kind words and uh thanks man yeah all right well we'll talk soon all right take care you. all right see you and that's gonna do it for another episode of confessions of a creative director Thanks to my very special guest, Sean McBride. And I forgot to mention, I love one of his new spots for Chewy, uh, where the guy's talking to the dog and they're, you know, the dog keeps saying, Vaz, Vaz. I love it. It's brilliant. Just another example of the comedic chops going on over there at Arnold under Sean's leadership. So, congrats to you guys on that. Great stuff. Hey, I want to encourage you to support the podcast, and you can do that in a couple different ways. You can pick up my book, What's the Big Idea? An Indispensable Guide to Becoming a Kick-Ass Creative Director. It's available uh, on Amazon and also on Audible, so pick that up. And another great way that you can support the podcast is by joining my Patreon, which is patreon.com backslash confessions of a creative director. You can join for as little as five bucks a month, and you'll get access to exclusive content like show summaries and the new feature, oh, and five more things, which uh, Sean completed for me, and that will be going up soon for all my Patreon uh, club members. So check that out. All right, folks, until next time, peace, love, and creativity. See ya. Yeah.